I ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to First uh, Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles, the most well-known book in the Bible. I can hear Jerry laughing behind me. And it's actually, on the church Bibles, it's page 356. If you have to look it up in the index, it's no embarrassment. It's completely fine. It's about a third of the way through the Bible. And uh, this is our Generosity Sunday, and so we're taking a brief uh, break from Mark's Gospel. We have an annual Generosity Sunday, and this this is the day. And this is just an amazing story, um, an unfamiliar story, but an amazing story of generosity that has thrilled me, and I want to share it with you. So 1 Chronicles chapter 29, I'm going to read out that story from uh, verse 1 through to verse 22. So let's hear God's word. And David the king said to all the assembly... Solomon, my son, who alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze. The iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir. And 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house. And for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of fathers' houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God uh, 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold. 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel, the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head 
above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer winningly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you, and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand, and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I've seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart, that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And They offered sacrifices to the Lord, and the next day offered burnt offerings to the Lord, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. I said at the start that I always wanted to preach on First Chronicles, and it really is true that I, I, it sounds unusual. I know for many of us it seems like slightly of a boring book. If you know the book, it begins with a whole list of names and all the rest. But actually, I really have wanted to do it. It's not. It, it reminds me a little bit of the story of the cowboy who um, mythically was in some saloon in the West somewhere or other and had... A, um, a, 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 with his uh, six-shooter, his gun was firing in the ground and making the other people in the saloon dance. And as he did so, he, he fired the gun and said, have you ever danced? And they all danced. He did this. And then in the story, a farmer uh, comes in, having ridden into town on his donkey and walks into the saloon. And uh, the cowboy um, fires at his feet too, saying, have you ever danced? And the farmer danced. And then he went back out side of the saloon to his donkey where he had a shotgun and he brought the the shotgun back into the saloon and pointed at the cowboy and said have you ever kissed a donkey (laughs) to which the cowboy replied no but I've always wanted to and uh, and when I say I've always wanted to preach from the book of Chronicles I don't mean it in that sense I really have always wanted to let me tell you why actually it's one book First and Second Chronicles are one story originally. It's divided into two because of the ancient scrolls to make it more manageable to, uh, to, to the way that scrolls were structured in those ancient days. We know it was one book from uh, the time of Jerome who translated the Bible into the Latin called the Vulgate. He, in his day, it was still considered one book. And the Masoretes, the Hebrew scholars, also considered it one book because they estimated the center of the book in around in chapter 27. Therefore, the, obviously, they were, the First and Second Chronicles were originally one 
one book. It's one book. And what is more, originally, it's the last book in the Hebrew Bible. That's not where it occurs in our English Old Testaments, but in the Hebrew Bible, it's the very last book. And that's important because the story of Chronicles is telling the whole story of the, of the Old Testament Bible and giving us an interpretive grid through which to understand it. The first word in Chronicles is Adam. So it's telling a story right from the beginning. And then the very last sentence in uh, the, the book of Chronicles is actually incomplete. The last sentence in the, um, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, is an incomplete sentence. Let him go up. Or let him arise, depending on your translation. Incomplete. Because the point of Chronicles is to tell us the story of the Old Testament that it's incomplete. And finds its fulfillment in the Messiah, Jesus. And throughout Chronicles, uh, the, the, the name Chronicles is not original. Uh, again, it was probably Jerome who came up with a name um, uh, when he translated the Bible into Latin. Uh, we don't know what the original name for the book was. The Hebrew has it as uh, the words of those days, something Something like that, you translate it that kind of way, which is not a bad title because it's giving us the word, the message about all those days. And the message it tells us is centering on David and the line of Judah and the king that is still to come, the incomplete story, and not only the line of David, but also the house, the temple that is to be built. And, of course, it was written at a time when that temple, um, very much later than the time of David, when that temple was, if it had been rebuilt by then, it was rather unimpressive. And the message it's giving is hope. There is a day to come when the king, the real king, will return. And the temple will be better than ever. And all that we know from the New Testament, we read the Old Testament as Christians, we know from the New Testament point of view is fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah who is the temple, the means for us to encounter God, which is what a temple is. It's a place to meet God. Where do we meet God? In Jesus. He's the temple. Who is the fulfillment of the line of David? Jesus. And so this whole, it's, a, it's, the, it's the word about those days. Incomplete story because the completion is still to come in Jesus. And then right at the apex of that is this amazing story about generosity because, of course, it's got David and it's got the house and it's right in the central point of the, uh, of the whole story as it's been told uh, by the chronicler. As some people think it was Ezra. We don't know who wrote it. And obviously it's about generosity. And on this Generosity Sunday, what I want, it's, uh, there are, uh, there are basically three categories I found of, of Christians when it comes to generosity. There are Christians who really don't give anything. I mean, maybe occasionally, but basically don't give. There's that category. And then there are Christians who give what's left over when they've taken care of their family and their, their house and their children and what they need or maybe what they want, but they give what's left over. And then there are those who give off the top line. They give first to God as the first fruits. 
And then they trust that God will take care of them. And my goal in this generosity, on this generosity Sunday, in this generosity sermon, is to move you further along that trajectory. If you don't give at all, my goal would be that you would start to give. And if you're giving as the remains, my goal is you shift to give first as the first fruits and trust God for his provision. And if you're already doing that, my goal would be that you would do that more and more and more. And as this story is being told here, it reworks our thinking about generosity. Most people, when they teach on generosity, either focus on the what, that is, how much do we need? What is the figure that we need? They either focus there, or they focus on the why, that is, why should we give to this rather than some other good cause? But this story doesn't focus in either of those two places. It focuses on the who. Very deliberately. Look at verse uh, verse 5. What does David say? Who then will offer willingly? And then um, he returns to that again in verse 14. But who am I and my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? Who? And as it, as it tells that, as it emphasizes that who, not the what or the why, but the who, the, the willing heart, it, it, there are three movements. There's the, the leader's generosity, and then the people's generosity, all of which is grounded on and because of God's generosity. And that's the most important part of it, of course. And if you are not a Christian here this morning, I, we, we are not asking you that you would give financially to the church. We want you to experience God's generosity. So it's the leader's generosity, the people's generosity, because of God's generosity. Uh, and each of those <laughs> movements is, is, is important, and, and fundamentally they're all grounded in who God is and his gracious generosity to us. So let's look at them together. The, the leader's generosity runs from verses uh, 1 through to 7, and it's really, it is remarkable generosity. Uh, David, as the king, uh, is, uh, is giving to the, the house of God, of course, but he makes sure that we understand that he's giving out of his own personal Money. He isn't just giving from the state budget to the house of God. He's giving from his own personal money. And look what he gives. Uh, verse 4, 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of refined silver. Uh, he, he's, he's giving a lot. Uh, but not only that, the other leaders also give. Verse 6. He says, who then will offer willingly? It's a willing gift, a cheerful uh, giver the Lord loves, as we know from the New Testament. And then we find, verse 6, the leaders of the the houses, the father's houses, they give, as also do the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and hundreds, and the officers of the king's work. And they they give a lot too. Look at verse 7. 5,000 talents. This is a lot of money. 10,000 darics. Now, just pause on that word. Fascinating, the choice of that word. 10,000 darics of gold. The daric was a form of money that was not in use until five centuries after the time of David. So why does the chronicler 
talk about Daric's because what he's doing is he's translating their generosity into the contemporary coinage, into contemporary terms, because he's in trying to encourage them to be generous with their own temple that they need to fund and their work of God that they need to support. It'd be like someone today saying they gave millions of dollars. Of course, there weren't dollars in the time of David, nor were there Dariks, but he's translating it into our terms. So we all get that this is really something that we should be involved with. 10,000 Dariks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, and 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. The leaders give. Now, this is really important. Sometimes, you may have heard uh, the 80-20 rule, the 20% of the people give 80% of the money, or sometimes now some people say it's 90-10, 10% of the people give 90% of the money, and therefore it's possible for leaders to feel as if they're unfairly supporting the vast majority. But that's not the right way to think about it at all. To those who much is given, Jesus taught, much is required. That's God's economy. If we have a lot of resources, we are to give a lot of money. That's the way the leaders need to lead with their generosity. By the way, of course, it also includes not just business leaders or leaders with financial resources, but spiritual leaders too. Pastors are to lead with their generosity. Parachurch um, workers. Professors at Christian colleges. Now, you may not have, what, what is it, um, 3,000 talents of gold in your bank account if you're a professor at a college. I'd be surprised if you did, but maybe you do. But that's not the point. The point is you're to set the example by being generous. Leaders lead with their generosity. This has always been the case in God's God's economy, in God's kingdom, that for those to whom much is given, much is required. If you want to look into this more, there's a wonderful little book on this called Gospel Patrons that describes how God has used rich people massively to support his kingdom. One story among many that we could tell is uh, of um, uh, a man called uh, Humphrey. You, would have heard, you won't have heard of him, but you would have heard of William Tyndale. And uh, William Tyndale was uh, the person who translated the Bible, of course, into the English language and was in the end martyred for doing so. And we've heard of William Tyndale, but what we have not heard of is the rich businessman who made it possible. As far as he could and as long as he could, he protected Tyndale. And he supported him. In fact, the ship's that brought the translation of the English Bible for the first time into England in the, in the native tongue, in the, in the English language, were Humphrey's merchant ships. They were his ships. 
Time and time and time again, God has used things like this. If you uh, watch, uh, I hear there's a little football game on next week called the Super Bowl. And if you watch that and you, you, you keep it, the TV on for the commercials, uh, which can be a little hit and miss, to say the least, I'm told, though I don't think I've ever watched a full Super Bowl game in my life, so I wouldn't really know, but I'm told. Um, but this year, uh, I'm told, uh, there will be a commercial that's been paid for promoting Jesus. Just think about that. Think of the amount of money it would take to buy that airtime. Some very deep pockets. Gospel patrons have made that possible. That's a good thing. To whom much has been given? Much is required. But it's not, of course, just the leader's generosity. It's also the people's generosity. So look then, I think this is verses 8 and 9 where it's emphasized. It then carries on. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord. And I think this is emphasizing the people because then you get verse 9. The, it's told us, then the people rejoice. Why? Because they had given willingly. This is the, the people's giving. For of a whole heart they had offered free to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. So the, the people give. It's possible, isn't it? To look at the size of a budget like college churches and think, my little gift is not going to move the needle very much. But that's not why we give. The people give. All of them. Why? As Jesus said, according to the Apostle Paul, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's good for you to give. It's a blessed thing. It glorifies God. That's why we give. Not to move the needle, because it's good for us. It's more blessed to give than to receive. All of us are to give. Every single Christian. The people give. And then when that happens, you see, notice that David the king rejoices. When that happens, then it's like, okay, now God really is at work. The people are giving. I've seen this a couple of times in my, my, my own life and experience. I remember one time, some of you know, I grew up in the Church of England. I grew up in the Anglican Church. And the church I went to for some of that time um, was going through a, a building expansion of some sort or other. I can't remember exactly what it was, but they, were, they, they, they needed to find money for their, the next stage of the building development. And so that's all good and fine. And the vicar, uh, that's Anglican code for senior pastor, by the way, the vicar, um, one Sunday, as they were in this uh, building program, uh, got up into the pulpit and showed the congregation a check. He, he hid the, the name on the check. But he, he showed the congregation a check for a very small amount of money. Of course, everyone thinks, well, why is he showing us that? Because, he told the congregation, it was a gift from a college student. A college student! A little amount. It didn't move the needle very much. 
but it meant the people were giving. Ah, now God is at work. Do you see? Um, one time when in the church I pastored on the East Coast, when we were um, uh, purchasing a building, a new building, and we were going through a building development of our own kind, uh, I remember the moment when I knew that God was going to do it internally. I mean, I still had moments when I wondered, but internally I knew, okay, I really think the Lord is in this. It's going to happen. The moment was when my secretary knocked on my door, came into my office and said, I've got something to show you. And uh, she showed me a check. Again, she hid the name, so I didn't see who had given it. And it was for a very small amount. Again, it wouldn't move the needle very much, so I sort of wondered why she was showing it to me. And then she showed me the letter that came with it, handwritten note um, in shaky handwriting, so I knew it was from an older person in the congregation. We were predominantly a young congregation. Most, 95% of the congregation was under 30. We had, I knew it was therefore one of five or six people, but I didn't know who it was. But I understood at that moment when an older, probably widow, maybe widower, with very little resources, was in, was giving, I knew the Lord was at work. They all gave, all the people. And therefore, David the king also rejoiced greatly. Why? The people rejoiced. Why? Because they had given willingly with the whole heart, the whole people. So yes, the leaders need to lead, absolutely. But then the people need to give too. But all of that, most important, is grounded in not the leader's generosity, not the people's generosity, but God's generosity. And as I told you at the beginning, the story of Chronicles is telling the story of how the gracious generosity of God is finally fulfilled in the Messiah. This generosity that, that David then talks about from verse 10, really to the end of our section that we're looking at this morning, verse 22, uh, is, is of course fulfilled in the, 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 the gracious, generous character of God that he talks about here is of course fulfilled in that final place and God's expressing his generosity to us as his people. For God so loved the world he gave his only son. And David of course didn't know that story yet but that's where the story is going. Look how David um, describes the generosity of God that is the ground for all this generosity. Verse 10, therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, notes this, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For why? Notice, all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Stop there. For the believer, there is no lack. God owns the whole universe. (laughs) There's no lack. There's only abundance. Yours, O Lord, it's the heavens and the earth. 
Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from you. And you rule. If you are wealthy, it comes from God to whom much has been given, much is required. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. If you're powerful in ministry, that comes from God too. You need to lead with generosity. In your hand, uh, God's hand, it is to make great and give strength to all. If you're politically powerful, then you are to set the example with generosity to God's, God's house. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Again, it's who? Verse 14. This is the question. Sometimes when people think about generosity, they, they think internally, inside. They're thinking, why do I have to give? But look how David frames it, verse 14. But who am I? What is my people that we should be able thus to give? That's the question. Isn't it amazing that we can give? Who am I that I'm able to offer willingly? Why? And this is the famous text from this passage, of course. For all things come from you. And of your own have we given you. It's in lots of liturgies in church history. And then he tells the story. What? We're strangers before you. That's God's people. They were sojourners as all our fathers were. That's who we are fundamentally. And our days on earth are like a shadow. There is no abiding. We're not here long. But O Lord our God, all this abundance, there is no lack. Only abundance. That we have provided for building your house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart, have pleasures and uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people. Ah, God must be at work. The leaders and their generosity, but also now the people and their generosity. I've seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers. Keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testaments, and your statutes before me all that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. It's all based upon God's generosity. Rochelle and I have seen this over and over again in our lives. Um, We were talking about this um, a couple of weeks ago and reflecting on how God has been, uh, I was going to say weirdly generous, but that may not be the right theological term. What should I, pious, remarkably? But it is sometimes extraordinary. Um, When uh, I was first a pastor of, well, I'd been in ministry for a number of years beforehand, but I was taking, taking on a church revitalization or a church replant, that kind of thing. And we had basically no money, very little indeed. Uh, the people were being generous, just the church at that time had very little. And so we had very little. And we literally didn't have enough money to buy clothes for our children. And so Rochelle prayed that God would provide clothes. And weirdly, remarkably, kids' clothes just kept on appearing. They kept on appearing. And then they started to fill the closets. And then there wasn't enough room for the kids' clothes in the closets. Until eventually, in her prayer time, Rochelle had to say, Lord, stop. 
But don't be frightened of being generous. God has it all. He'll provide. Have a willing heart. And then you'll rejoice. The leader's generosity, the people's generosity, based upon God's generosity. And then, of course, <laughs> uh, the, the, the response when David says, bless the Lord your God. You may say, well, okay, so what does that mean in practice? I'll tell you what it means in practice. It means uh, regular giving. There are all sorts of ways you can schedule it these days. Deliberate giving, like theologically thoughtful, giving to the, the church and to God's work. But then joyful giving too. That's practical as well. Look how David concludes. David looks out at the assembly and says, Bless the Lord your God. Praise God. And then they all do. And basically, they have a party, don't they? They're verse 21, they offered sacrifice, I mean, a worship celebration. They offered sacrifice to the Lord, and the next day they offered burnt offerings to the Lord. A thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand lambs. There must have been some really good steaks that day. With their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. We have a generous God, and therefore the leader's generosity leads the way, and the people follow with their generosity, and so we rejoice. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank you that with you there is no lack, there's only abundance. We pray, therefore, Lord, that we would take the next step in our generosity today, that we wouldn't uh, be frightened but give freely, knowing that you, you own the whole thing. Help us, Lord, to have willing hearts in such a way that the story would be told of this church. Uh, like the story of these people at this moment in the book of Chronicles, that they gave willingly. And there was an abundance Oh, Lord, make it so, we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.